we are going through a series in Deuteronomy. Uh, just been really fun to grasp and, and grapple with the text and see how God has not changed over uh, thousands of years of human existence. God has always been the same. And we see his constant work, his constant character from the beginning to the end. Uh, God has always just had the same heart for his people. And we, we're really getting to see that in Deuteronomy and how much this text, even though it's one of the earliest books in the Bible written, how it still complements so much uh, that uh, we understand of God in the New Testament. And so today we're in Deuteronomy 15. Uh, we have gone through uh, 15 chapters after today in Deuteronomy. Pretty cool. Give yourself a hand for that. You've made it past where most Christians will have stopped. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a survey of chapter 15. Uh, last week, uh, we started, uh, Moses begins this preaching on Deuteronomy to Israel, uh, on generosity. And he first starts, first and foremost, with giving back to God. And we covered that last week. But when we talk about giving to God, we usually end it at our giving to God in the church. And we don't talk about the broader spectrum that scripture covers giving to God, which is also being generous towards other people. And so Moses continues his sermon on generosity by talking about the generosity that is expected of Israel when they are dealing with other people. Uh, And so we're going to cover that today, uh, starting in 15. But like I said, I'm going to give you a survey of chapter 15. We're going to kind of hop around uh, and we'll read verses 1 to 2 and then 7 and 8 and then 12 to 14. So we'll start in verse 1. You can read along on the screen. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact it on his neighbor, his brother, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed. If among you one of your brothers should become poor, if, any, if in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. But you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you, he shall serve you six years. And in the seventh year, you shall let him Go free from you. And when you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go empty handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your wine press. As the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. So I especially love and appreciate this week in Deuteronomy. Uh, Because a lot of times when we think of the Old Testament or even when we think of ancient cultures, we really don't think of generosity and spirit towards one another. Because as uh, if you remember in history class or uh, if you just have this perception of how people acted towards one another back then, it was we usually hear about the epic wars for the uh, the awful slavery systems that. Nations put other nations in when they were conquered or emperors and kings going around conquering other lands or the oppression towards different peoples. And we usually do not think of uh, generosity and spirit towards one another. Uh, And that's what I appreciate about this chapter 
is that even though the people at this time did not necessarily think about these things, and this was not part of the normal law codes in the ancient Near East, God has always been like this. God has always had uh, an understanding and a law of grace, as, as Paul puts it, that this is the character of God, how he expects people to treat one another, and more importantly, his people to treat one another. And so we see that truly come across here in Deuteronomy 15, and we see that come across in other places in the law, in Exodus and in Numbers and in Leviticus. Um, but in the New Testament, as you read through it, you realize that it talks so much about generosity towards your fellow brother and sister. And You know, I've noticed that as I read the Old Testament more and I read it with new eyes constantly, just ask God to speak to me through it. I realize that there's just as much in the Old Testament as there is in the New about being generous towards one another and what that looks like. And sometimes it's hard to see because we're reading through the lens of a different society and a totally different law code and a a different way of life. So we don't always see that practically play out. But as you understand the culture that Israel was living in, you understand that laws like this were insanely generous and out of the norm. Uh, And it really helps you appreciate the character of God and what he's trying to get across to his children. And so uh, one thing that we need to understand, and as we're going to keep on reiterating across today's message is this, our heart towards others has always been an indication of our posture towards God. And that is a theme throughout Scripture. I mean, we see it most uh, essentially in the greatest commandment that Jesus constantly reiterates, that's reiterated in all the epistles of the New Testament, which says that you are to love God and to love your neighbor. Uh, And this means that how we treat other people is truly indicative of our heart and our posture towards God himself, not just towards the other people. A lot of times we like to separate our Christianity into compartments and we compartmentalize how we treat God and how we treat other people. And that is completely false in scripture. How we treat other people has so much to do with our relationship with God. And so Moses here in Deuteronomy 15, he classifies three different groups in his call to generosity. And his first group that he talks about, the first thing he talks about is the release of debt. And so we have this starting off in 15. He says, um, at the end of seven years, last week, we talked about um, when we have a special time for the tithing. Moses says, every three and three years, you bring a tithe and everybody gets to participate, even the people who can't tithe in a grand celebration of food and drink and all this great stuff uh, to celebrate giving to God. So... Moses says, he starts off here, in the seventh year, right, three and three is six. So on the seventh year, there is a special thing that happens. And the special thing that happens is a release from debt. The Sabbath is really important in Scripture. Uh, It started in Genesis. We see God created the earth in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. And so this is something that he commands his people to constantly do, is to Sabbath. And so every, uh, in a week, we have seven days. On Every uh, one day a week, we are supposed to Sabbath, have a day of rest. 
And in that day of rest, we were saying, God, my life and my sustenance and my job cannot give me everything I need. And so I am recognizing that you are my sustainer by not working today and not uh, trying to fulfill my own needs, but putting it in your own hands. And so that's what Sabbath does for us. That's what rest does for us. Now, there was also a Sabbath year. Every seven years, there was a Sabbath year. And then every seventh time for the seventh year, the 50th year, there was a year of Jubilee. That's a different story. Um, but anyway, it can get confusing after a while. So anyway, and the seventh year, Moses says, this is supposed to happen. There's a Sabbath year. And he adds to the law of the Sabbath. And he says, there is a release of debt that needs to happen. Uh, some scholars believe this meant debt was completely wiped out. Uh, but most scholars believe that this actually meant there was a year where debt was not collected and the debt was resumed uh, on the eighth year. And so it gave a year where people can recoup, uh, can rebuild their savings and hopefully uh, be more lenient in the future and be able to start paying off their debt in a better way. But the main gist, no matter what you believe about this, is all the scholars believe that the thought stays the same. We are not to be a people, Israel is not to be a people that exacts debt on each other at any cost. That's the point. The second thing, the second grouping is caring for the needy that Moses gets into. He says there's going to be hard times. This is just normal human logic. Everybody is going to go through hard times in their life. When that happens, when hard times fall on your brother or your sister and there becomes a time of poverty or a time of need in their life, there's a certain way that you are supposed to react to that person. What does Moses say? He says you need to do a few things. He says, one, you should lend to that person what they need. Do not leave them hanging. If you see a brother or a sister in need, don't let them just be in need and go to the wayside. Lend to them what they need. Second thing Moses says, he says, don't harden your heart towards them. Don't shut your hand. Don't say, no, I'm not going to give you. You deserve to be where you are. Don't harden your heart towards them. And then the third thing he says is, don't look down on them. And so if the seventh year is coming, right, and you realize if I give to this person in need and now I'm not going to be able to collect my debt for you know, a whole year, because we're about to get into this Sabbath year, and you say to yourself, uh, I'm not going to lend, even though this person needs it right now, I'm not going to lend it because I won't be able to get it back for a while. Moses says this, that person will be able to cry out to God against you. And when that person cries out to God, God will come with his judgment and he will find you guilty of sin. That's powerful. And then after that, Moses says, but if you are generous towards the needy, then what will happen? God will bless you in your work. God will bless you in your work. The third thing that Moses says is this. He says there's the seventh year is the year of the release of slaves. So slavery in this society is really debt slavery. And so what happened is if you owed somebody money, and you couldn't pay or you did something against somebody and you couldn't pay the retribution for that. Uh, they didn't have jails. They didn't have prison complex system back then. So what they did was if you were indebted to somebody, you then became their indentured servant or their slave until you can pay off your debt to them. So there was a way out of that. 
But God says that if there is a Hebrew man or woman that has to come as your indentured servant or your slave because of a debt that they owe you, they cannot stay your slave more than seven years. At at the seven-year mark, this doesn't have to do with the seven Sabbath years. So if they come in, they serve for six years. And after, on the seventh year, you have to let them go. They cannot stay in perpetual slavery to you unless they want to. So they get an option. If you find that your life has been better under this person be, uh, because you, you, know, you have a better home or you, are, you have the food that you want and the sustenance that you want and you don't want to go off on your own and you want to be part of their house, then you have the opportunity to do that. But if you don't, you are released. But God says something. You cannot just release somebody and say, well, you know, go find your own way, have fun, enjoy life. Hopefully you survive. He says, no, when you release them, you have to give liberally of what you have to them, meaning help them start their new life on the right foot. You know, so many times uh, we as people would say, well, you know, you deserve this. Uh, You no one told you to get into debt or to do this. And so you found your own way. Go have fun in your life. Uh, Moses says, no, that's not how we act towards one another because that's not how God dealt with us. We were in slavery in Egypt. God not only brought us out of slavery, but on our way out, he allowed us and softened the Egyptians' hearts so that they gave of their produce, of their abundance to us so that Israel started as a nation that was wealthy, that had a lot. And so God says, just how I have treated you in your exile from slavery of Egypt, you need to treat your fellow brother and sister when they are released from slavery in your home so that you give to them liberally of what you have so that they can start off their life properly. And so there are a lot of lessons that we can learn from this. And that's kind of where we're going to land today It's kind of how do these lessons inform how we live our life today? Uh, There is so much that the word says about how we handle money that reveals to us our heart towards God. And we talked about this a little bit last week, and it's because money is the biggest false idol. It is the biggest uh, enemy of God in our lives. It is the thing that will tempt us most against God. It is not the devil. uh, It is not demons. It is money. God said you can't serve two masters. Jesus says you only uh, can serve one. You cannot serve money and God. Because money constantly props itself up against God and all the things that God offers us. Security, peace, happiness, joy. Um, And so we, in learning about this, we not only need to learn about how we give to God, but we also need to learn in how we use our money in treating other people, because that will speak louder than our words. And so the first thing that I kind of want us to glean from this is our our attitude towards people who are in need. Uh, This is incredibly, incredibly important in our walk uh, with God. The first thing that we need to understand is that we shouldn't look down on people that are in need. We shouldn't look down at people who are in need. Our posture as Christians shouldn't be to look at people who are in need and, and say to them, uh, you deserve this. You deserve where you are, and I don't want to help you. 
And unfortunately, that is, as a society, usually where we land. We look at people who are in times of poverty. Uh, I think of it, you know, I think of families a lot because this happens in families a lot where somebody maybe made poor choices uh, and they get into a time where they're just they're, they're trying to scrape by. And family will look at that person a lot of times and say to them, well, you should have done this better. You should have. Uh, I told you to do this. You didn't listen to my advice. You didn't listen to my opinion. And now look at where you are. I want you to live this out and I want you to go through it. I'm not going to help you because you really deserve where you are. And this a lot of times is our posture towards people is, you know, when we're talking amongst our friends or we're talking in our home and we think about somebody who hit a hard time, we think of, "Eh," you know, well, they, they were dumb in this aspect and that's why they're at. And this is just the reality of human culture and human nature. Uh, but really, Scripture teaches us and God teaches us that we are supposed to uplift the needy. We are supposed to be there in their time of need and give to them. And I think uh, I also see this in our, in, our, in our approach towards the homeless and, and especially in New York City. Uh, because a lot of times, and I'm guilty of this too, is we come across somebody that's homeless on the subway or uh, people in our neighborhood on our path to work. And we look down we, we, in the subway just think, man, because of you, this cart now stinks and I'm mad at you and I have, to, I have to get up and I have to walk to another cart because you just couldn't go sleep somewhere else. And these, I mean, maybe I'm the worst person and this is only what goes through my head. But these are the thoughts that I will struggle with that will be a temptation. And I know it's not just me because I see the dirty looks that everybody is giving that person as they walk in and they think, yes, I got a seat. And then they see why it's empty. And then they're like, oh, I can't stand you. And then they walk and they walk another way. Or we look at the people constantly in our path to work or in our normal routines during the day and think, I, 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 I need to stay as far away from you as possible. I, I, I don't want to be unclean. I don't want to be dirty. And I'm, I'm just tired of you constantly begging uh, I work hard for what I do, and I, I don't want to give to you. And this is the mentality, especially in New York. And uh, I remember I was struggling with this because I realized uh, what was going on in my heart. And uh, one day I was walking home. Uh, I parked my car, was walking home from work, and I had – I never carry my Bible. And I have a really big Bible. You know, I, um, I had one of those really small print Bibles once, and I, I started to read it one day, and I was just like, man, small print is just not cutting it anymore. Uh, how many can, can relate to that? You just need to get large print sometimes, you know? Kindle or on your phone, you just keep on blowing up that text or it's like you got one word on the screen now and you're reading it one word at a time. <laughs> and so I, 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 had a, I was carrying my Bible. It didn't fit in my bag and I had this thick, big Bible and so I'm walking and this guy sees me walking uh, and he goes, hey, hey, uh, you, you must be a Christian, right? And I was like, uh, I know it's about to happen right now. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> what's up? Uh, he was like, look, I, I'm, in, I'm homeless right now. I need some money. And, you know, New Yorkers are, we, we know about the scam, right? People that come up, they say, you know, I, I, my baby is hungry. I need to go buy formula. You have $20. I'll give you my ID. You can hold it for me. I promise I'll be back. I must have heard this scam a hundred times. But also, uh, there are people that are truly in need. Um, and as this guy approached me, I, 
Uh, I realized, man, this guy is actually in need, and here I am with my Bible, and I'm thinking, like, what kind of witness am I going to be? And so I said, hey, yeah, I'm on my way home. I really don't want to uh, talk to anybody. I just want to go home and, and hang out with the kids and my wife. Uh, but God was really convicting me around this, and so I said, okay, how about we go to the pizzeria and we go eat dinner together? And he was like, yeah, that would be great. So I said, okay, we, we go and we're at the pizzeria and we're eating dinner, and I just asked him to start telling me about his life. And it was just amazing, this guy's life story and all the, the prejudgments that I had towards him. You know, I was uh, judging the way he looked and the way he talked and what he was asking for, and I had all these mental preconceived notions about this man, but as he began to share his life story, I just began to pray for him mentally while we were having this conversation. And towards the end of the meal, uh, I just asked him, I was like, hey man, can, can I pray for you? Uh, and he said, you know, I, I would really love that. And he started to open up more that he used to go to church and he hasn't been able to go to church in a while. And so I, I prayed for this man and, and the next uh, few days later was Sunday, he actually showed up to church. Uh, and he, me and this guy, we, we've known each other now for maybe four years, three years. Uh, we see each other every once in a while in the neighborhood. We've grabbed food together uh, every now and then. We've talked. Uh, and he's been to church on and off, but it is a relationship that I pray that God is cultivating in me that gives me new eyes to see my neighbor that's in need. Because uh, as a New Yorker, I've become numb to my neighbor that's in need. And let's just be honest, you know, we've seen the scams happen and we know that people just want from us. And so we've been really good at having tunnel vision when we're going to the train, when we're going to our car, when we're getting to our destination. And we never look at our neighbor who may be in need. We never look to these things. And we have this mentality of I work really hard for everything I have. And who are you to want from what I have? And we act like that towards our family. We act like that towards our neighbors. We act like that towards people. Well, you didn't work this nine to five work. You didn't sacrifice for the resources that I have. And so you have no part in what I have right now. And, and Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 13, he says this. He says, for do I... Not mean, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burden, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their needs so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. And so what Paul's talking about here is he's asking the church to give to another church that was in need in another city. And he's making a point. He said, this is what the Christian body is all about. This is what the church is all about. That we see a brother and sister that is in need. And out of the abundance that God has given us, I can now provide and supply their need. Where usually our posture is this. We see a brother or a sister in need and we say, God, I pray that you supply their need. But God is saying, I have given you abundantly so that you may be my hands to supply their need. Come on, you did not just hear what happened there. Our posture to people in need is, I will pray with you and I will pray for you and you have my thoughts. But God is saying to us, no, I have provided for you abundantly so that you can provide for that need. I am providing for that person's need through you. And so often we try to act spiritual, and in our spirituality, we are missing who God is.
And so when we find a brother or sister in need, when we see somebody that maybe is going through hard times, maybe our first thought isn't A, to judge them, or our second thought isn't B, to just pray for them. But really what Paul is saying and what God is saying to his people is, you should start thinking, how can I provide for that need? Can I write a check to that person? Can I Venmo them something? Can I quick pay them something? There's a million ways that you can do it now. You can right away go on your phone and check your bank account and think, can I spare $20, $5, $100 just to give to this person? This is the kind of Christian community that we are called to be. And we see this played out in God's people from the very beginning to the very end. That we are called to live this way. Another lesson that uh, comes across here is our understanding of debt. And so culturally, being debt-free as somebody is, is who constantly uh, we see the people of God called to be in the Bible. You know, history has shown time and time again that the ones who are indebted to others are the people who are in servitude to those people. Proverbs 22.7 says this, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is what? The slave to the lender. Romans 13.8 says, Oh, no one anything. Uh, And as a Christian, uh, this may get too practical for everybody, so I'm sorry if this is too practical for you. As a Christian, we should avoid debt as much as possible. And as a general rule, uh, I think sometimes we'll talk about when we realize debt is necessary, but as a Christian, we should avoid it as much as possible. One of my pastor friends, uh, James Roberson, he came and preached here one day. Uh, he, his wife handle, handles the finances in the house. Usually, hopefully, there's somebody in the house that's good with finances. Um, but as, as spiritual authority, he said he asked his wife three questions uh, about finances. He said, um, he asked three questions. He said, are we giving to the church? Yes. Okay, we're good. Are we in debt? No. Okay, we're good. If it's yes, do we have a plan to get out of it? Okay, we're good. And then the third question is, are we saving? So these are practical things that we see scripturally. These are principles for us to live by. These aren't laws. These are principles for us to live by that generally God is calling for his people to be in. And so what's really interesting is our society today is set up all around debt. Our society, if you don't have a credit card in our society, you basically can't do anything. And if we think that this is just by accident, well, I think we're being naive. Uh, and the truth of the matter is, is that people in power know, people that don't have good intentions know, that in order to enslave you, they put you in debt. So in order to, make, to own your life and to own what you do, they make you in debt to who they are. And that is... A lot of times the greed and the evil side of power and systems in the world, the capitalistic world that we live in right now. And so how do you get around doing this? How do you get around in a world where basically cash is dying slowly but surely and credit card is king and you don't want to get fraud so you don't carry your debit card around? You know, I've been there. And so you use credit. How do you deal with these things? Well, practical ways to deal with this is this. If you cannot... Pay off your credit card every month. Stop putting things on it. Practical life thing right there. If you want to make a purchase and you cannot pay off that purchase at the end of the month, if you cannot wipe out your credit card, all the purchases that you're making that month, don't put it on your credit card. 
That is how you stay out of debt. Now, how to get out of debt, there's a lot of classes. David Ramsey has financial freedom classes that are really good that can help, but there's a lot of ways to consolidate. But generally, the math is this, that you have to pay off more than what you're spending every month. And in our society, we make it so easy to get in debt and incredibly hard to get out of debt. We make it really easy. We have layaway, financing, credit cards. You know, you don't have to pay interest for a year. And then after that, you're paying 30% interest. It's just we have every possible way to enter into it. And then when we enter into it, we never get out of it. And it's a form of slavery. It's a form of somebody owning your life because you are indebted to them. And so the, so the Bible calls us uh, to live as a principle, live as people who are debt-free. So essentially, I think the, the main two things that it's very hard to not buy debt-free are a house and a car. You know, these are reasonable, practical senses of debt. But TV, clothes, uh, electronic purchases, these things, these are things that the principle is to not get into debt. You save up until you can buy it in cash. And then when you save up enough, then you buy it instead of going the other route, which is you buy it for your future debt. And you start paying for it every month. But then the flip side is the reason why Jesus or God doesn't want us to be people who are in debt is so that we can be people who lend. And in our lending, we can show the character of God towards other people. And this is the last point I want to make. So if we are not supposed to be in debt and we are supposed to be people who lend, then it's really important how we treat people who are in debt to us. And this is the crux of the principle. Because how we treat others who are indebted to us is a testimony as to who we are as Christians. Now, Jesus talks about uh, debt in a parable and the unforgiving servant. And so uh, Peter, he asked Jesus a question. And he says, uh, Jesus has just talked about forgiveness. And then Peter asked Jesus a a question. Uh, He says, how many times do I have to forgive somebody? And And Jesus says, basically, unlimited amount of times you have to forgive. And then Jesus gives this parable of the unforgiving servant. He says, there's a master. This master has a lot of servants. And one servant owes him 10,000 denarii, or 10,000 talents. Now, 10,000 talents, equivalent to today's money, is several million dollars. This servant owes this master several million dollars. Now, this master goes to the servant, he says, okay, it's time for me to collect your debt. And the servant says, I can't pay this debt. Can you please have mercy? He gets on his knees and he begs, please have mercy on me. I can't pay right now. So the master sees that he can't pay, that he's earnest, and he says, okay, you know what? Not only don't you not have to pay now, but I'm just, I'm releasing you of your debt. Just go away. You're you're good. You don't have to pay me back. So the servant is thankful, but then the servant finds, sees another servant walking by to that same master. And the servant sees that other servant that owes him money, and that person owes him 100 denarii, which is equivalent to a little over $1,000 today. 
This guy just got freed of millions of dollars worth of debt. He sees somebody that owes him a little over $1,000, and he goes to him, and he says, hey, you owe me 100 denarii. Where's my money? Now the guy that owes him money gets on his knees and pleads. He said, please have mercy on me. I I can't pay you right now, but I promise I'm going to pay you in the future. And this servant, instead of releasing him of his debt, he said, you know what? Because you can't pay me right now, I'm throwing you in jail until you can pay me back my debt. He has no mercy on him, and he throws him in jail. If you are thinking right now, well, people don't owe me money, so how does this apply to me? Well, guess what? People don't have to owe you money to be in your debt. We, as people, form a lot of ways where people are indebted to us. We have a list of people who owe us, right? People we did favors for us that we're waiting to call back on. People who wronged you that you're just waiting for the right moment to exact revenge on them. People who made a promise to you that you're waiting for them to keep, that you're just waiting. When when are they going to keep their promise? I remember you said that 10 years ago. It's going to happen. You better, you better fulfill that promise, not you owe me if you don't. Why we, we have a system, it may not be monetary, but it is a system where we are constantly finding other people in our debt. And we keep those people in our debt. But forgiveness and grace and mercy towards others goes way beyond our money dealings in debt. Jesus says in this parable, If you cannot act generously towards others and forgive, then you are not only not forgiving them, but you are denying me and my forgiveness towards you. At the end of the parable, Jesus says this. He says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Do you know that our refusal to be generous towards other people is a flat out refusal of Christ in our life? Our refusal to forgive somebody something that they owed us is a refusal of the forgiveness that Christ offers us. This is what James meant when he said faith without works is dead. If you confess Christ all day, but cannot lend to somebody in need, but cannot forgive someone a debt, or love someone through a hard time, then your faith is meaningless. Your confession doesn't mean anything. And in the end, Jesus will come to collect his debt as you have come to collect your debt from others. Too often, we separate our faith from our actions towards people. And Moses gets very practical here, and the New Testament gets very practical. How we deal with other people tells us about our relationship with God. How I can forgive somebody that wronged me tells us about how we have received the forgiveness that Christ gave us. Since our debt to him is in the millions, and the only possible debt that others can have us is peanuts compared to that. And we have been forgiven so deeply and so magically, so amazingly of the greatest debt that we can possibly accumulate. The, 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 the ways that we have wronged God on a daily basis, yet he has said, I forgive you as we've asked him for mercy and for grace. Yet we constantly go to others and we say, you owe me. 
I'm not going to forgive you for what you've done. I can't handle being close to you. I don't want to give to you. you, you you're, you're nothing to me. You, you deserve this. I, I don't. Get out of my sight. And what we're doing is we're disconnecting our, conf- our confession in Christ from our actions towards others. If we are not a people that is generous towards one another, that can be people that lift each other up in hard times instead of tear one another down, then there is something wrong in our confession towards Christ. Our faith is not really being laid at his feet. We are called to be people who are generous towards our brother and our sister. That when we see people who are in need, our first reaction is, is not they deserve that good luck. It's, man, is there a way I can help right now? Our reaction towards others is, man, even though you owe me, forget about it. Don't worry. I mean, if you've ever experienced someone doing that to you outside of God, it's, it's very hard to believe. You always think there's an ulterior motive. Like, what do you mean I, I don't have to pay you back? Or what do you mean that it's fine, it, it's not a big deal? And that's the kind of community that we are called to be. One that doesn't hold grudges towards each other. One that doesn't say you owe me and you're never getting out of this. One that says that we will be generous towards one another. Let's pray. God, I pray that you forgive us. That we would be a generous people not withholding, not stingy, not unforgiving, but truly like you who gives when not required and lifts up when others are down. Lord, I thank you that you constantly call us to the example that you left, whether it be freeing Israel from Egypt and giving them generously so that they can start in abundance in their land or whether it be your son Jesus Christ who emptied himself and became poor so that we could be rich who left all privilege and everything that he had to die on the cross so that we can be in relationship with you Father, teach us to model this, that we would stop disconnecting our actions towards others with our confession with you, that they would be integral with each other, that they would be linked at every corner, that we would see, Lord, our actions towards others and how they represent our faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, convict us and forgive us as we repent today from ways that we have been ungracious and unkind to our neighbor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.